Welcome to Bible study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Very happy to be with you. And thank you for tuning in. It's a privilege and an honor to open the Word of God and to study together. It's a very interesting topic today. We are going to talk about doing the unthinkable. And please stay with us because this will be a wonderful study to learn from God what we can apply in our lives. I'd like to welcome our panel today and I will say hello to Len. How are you, Len, today? And welcome to the program. Well, thank you for the welcome. I am well and hello, listeners. Helen, it's good to have you with us. Thank you. It's a delight. It's a privilege. It's just awesome to study what we're studying today. Thank you. And I'd just like to say, Helen, uh, that we are praising God for you being able to be with us uh, because I know that you've been through some uh, health issues and uh, a very important procedure which you took just a few days uh, uh-huh. ago. And we are thanking God uh, for you to be able Thank to be with us today. Yes. 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 Amen. I will also welcome Lija today. Thank you for joining, Lija. Thank God for being here. It's a privilege. It's an honor to study the the Holy Word of God. And Brenton, it's good to have you with us joining from uh, Southeast. Thank you, Nick. It's a privilege to be back again. We've had a couple of busy weeks with my wife having some health issues, and uh, it's lovely to be back again sharing God's Word. And it's also good to have you prepare this uh, Bible study for us and facilitating today. Uh, Brenton, I would like to just um, hand it over to you, and please uh, take us through. Thank you. The last few weeks we've studied the subject of a servant in the book of Isaiah. We've studied uh, the servant in one, two and three aspects. But today we're looking at the fourth aspect of this servant. It's known in sometimes in scripture as the suffering servant. Uh, One of the unfortunate things about this is that um, some Bible commentators these days do not apply this Um, section that we are going to study from the word of God to Christ they apply it to other things the suffering of the Jews a person who lived in the time of Isaiah but we as a panel and listeners as they uh, take this in will realize that it is talking about only one person who could fulfill all these specifications Jesus Christ before we go any further I would like Helen to pray for us because we really do need to understand what God in Christ has done for us as we study this subject together. Thank you, Helen. Loving Heavenly Father, you are awesome. You have done the unthinkable. And, Lord, it shows us this week the study is all about your incredible love for hopeless humans. Lord, we are just in awe of you. Be with us in each one on the panel, each listener, that the importance of this chapter can touch our hearts in the most amazing way that we will just want to praise you all day, every day. It is just amazing. Lord, I cannot put in words, but I thank you that we have your word that we can study and that you will enlighten us. Bless each one today, I pray in your loving name. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Helen. I would like to start our discussion time, our study time together with a statement. And I'm happy for any panel members to comment on it after I've read it. It's a short, succinct statement, but I believe it covers what we are going to look at today. It says this, 
Christ was treated as we deserve, that we might be treated as he deserves. He was condemned for our sins, in which he had no share, that we might be justified by his righteousness, in which we had no share. He suffered the death which was ours, that we might receive the life which was his. And then it finishes the statement with, with his stripes, we are healed. It's taken from a book entitled The Desire of Ages on page 25. As I contemplated on this as we were preparing the study, a lot of things went through my mind. But panel, how do you see this statement? Does it cause you to fall at the feet of Jesus and thank him for his salvation? Does it make you feel humble because you recognize that you had no part in what has been accomplished for you? How do you feel when you hear a statement like that? Has anyone got any comments on that? Thank you, Lynn. Well, you've asked three questions, and my answer is yes, yes, and yes. And yes. <laughs> yes, um, I think about this too. Christ has substituted himself for us. Yes. He didn't deserve anything bad to happen to him because he never did anything bad. But because we have sinned, we deserve what we get. But we don't get what we deserve. We get grace and mercy instead of punishment. Mm. What I was going to just add um, to what you already quote from that wonderful book, uh, Brenton, and you may have heard also the saying, or if not, I believe this is very important to grasp and to apply in your life, in our lives. You may heard the saying that Jesus died for us that we may live for him. Yes. And I think that's uh, important because we are not here just to thank God that he died for us, that we have eternal life or that we uh, will be with him there. We are here also to represent him, to live a life that many other people will see what Jesus did. Yes. And I think that's very important. And I would like to stress out that, uh, that point. So, Nick, what you're saying really is that unless you apply this statement to your own life, it's actually a very nice statement, but it doesn't have any power. The power has to be applied to your life yes. in order that you may represent that to others. Helen, did you have a thought on that? And yeah. yeah, I do, actually. In that comment that you had, by his stripes, we are healed. I've thought about that quite a bit, and I thought, how, how do we explain that? Um, to people like somebody is being mocked and whipped and, and crucified and yet we're the one who who um, come through unscathed if you like you know healed and I thought a lot about that and I thought number one there is no healing unless there is shedding of blood and so by his stripes which could be taken by him being whipped but how are we healed and I, and I thought about that and I thought well it's a bit like we have got something terrible over us, and, of course, that's sin. And here comes Jesus, and he says, I will take that from you, and I will heal you so you don't have that anymore. Yes. In other words, he goes through, I don't fully understand it, but he goes through all this agony and for love because he loves us so much. And then he gives us this amazing healing. What's the healing to do? Well, it's for our sin. You know, there's nothing worse than living a life of sin and having all that guilt and um, degradation in your life. And yet 
he took it. I just wish I had the words to explain how I feel about that. Helen, I think the, the words guilt bearer is one thing that would probably come to mind, isn't it? Mm. Len, you had a thought too. Yes, I just want to <laughs> present a little analogy. Let's say I fell down a cliff and there I was lying at the bottom, mangled and bruised, but still alive. Let's say it was in a remote place, nobody around, but then somebody came along, climbed down that cliff face, carried me up, however difficult that may have been, and saved my life. How would I feel toward that person? I'd be eternally grateful, and I would try to express that in whatever way I could. And I think it's good for us to remember we each are that bruised, battered person lying down the bottom without any hope of being saved and that Jesus acted as the one who saved us. We have to feel gratitude toward him for, for what he has done. I just wanted to make a comment on your opening words, Brenton, if I may. Sure. You know, you said, does modern Christianity re really recognise the depth and total depravity of sin? As much as I, I think it must have been horrendous in the time of the sanctuary in um, Exodus where they, they actually brought a lamb or a bullock or a cow, depending on the offering, yes. and they literally had to slaughter it. They and had to. Was, yeah. yeah, and that was, you know, that was a pet lamb. Yes. And, and yeah. you know, I thought, well, as much as I don't want to have to do that, it really brings it home as to what Christ did for us because that was a type of what Christ was going to do for us. And I think we've actually lost something in that. People look at a picture of Christ on the cross and they, you know, the man on the cross, they don't really, really study it. I remember a story about a woman who wanted to be able to study and paint. And this man said to her, look at this picture. And it was a picture of Christ on the cross. And he said, what do you see? And she said, I see a man on a cross. And he went out, he said, keep looking at it, I'll come back. And he came back a while later. He said, what do you see now? She said, I see a man on a cross and he's got nails. And he went through this quite a lot. And finally he came back and she, he said, what do you see? And she was crying. She said, I see a man with tears in his eyes and love and compassion. I see a man who died for me. We need to spend more time. You know, he's off the cross now. I understand that. But we need to really get to the nitty gritty. He did it for me. Certainly. I would agree with all the comments there. Um, I've simply made a couple of uh, comments here before we go into our discussion questions. This section is at complete odds with modern-day individualism. I think we'd all agree with that in society's motto, it's all about me. This section, if you read this section to the average person, I wonder seriously they would look at you as if to say, are you okay? Because it's talking about a person who is taking a whole lot of guilt, a whole lot of pain and a whole lot of many other things on behalf of someone else vicariously. It pictures a suffering servant who bore only a half behalf unspeakable things. I wonder, does modern Christianity recognise such a person, the Messiah? Most modern commentators do not apply this to the Messiah, but the suffering of the Jewish people or an individual Jew in the time of Isaiah. Does modern Christianity really recognise the depth and total depravity of sin? When we realise what Christ did for us, 
we should surrender our hearts fully to such a wonderful saviour and substitute by his stripes we are healed i would like to go straight into our uh, discussion questions the section we're studying primarily in our study today not completely but primarily is isaiah 52 verse 13 through to basically the end of chapter 53 about verse 11. Lydia, I wondered if you could read chapter 52, verse 13 for us, because what you've got in 52, verse 13, and then I'm going to get you to read another text. Uh, Nick is going to read to us Philippians 2, 9. What you've got in 52, verse 13, it talks about a process. It talks about the end result, and then it goes back and fills in what brings about the end result. In other words, it says that he will be highly exalted. The, the question is, why will he be highly exalted? So if you can read 52.13, thanks, Ledger, and Nick, Philippians 2, verse 9, we will compare those two statements together. Thank you. Okay, in uh, Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, we read, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Here we, we can observe here a Messiah as a rescuer and redeemer. And the Lord God, it says that he raised him up, raised and lift him up and highly exalted. And that's uh, uh, actually continued in, um, in the New Testament, in the book of um, Philippians. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. Mm -hmm. Lynn, did you have a comment? I'd like to um, refer back to the verse that Lydia read, Isaiah 52, and it says, See, my servant will act wisely. Now, I was puzzled about the use of that word wisely. This word wisely actually means in a way that will prosper. Yes. Who will prosper people who otherwise have no hope. So the word is chosen very well that Jesus acted in a way that would prosper others for their well-being and for their good. Thank you, Len. That is a good thing. While we're on this particular subject, we, we can see one thing clearly sticking out here. I believe, and that is that when Christ did what he did on Calvary for our sins, once he was restored to God's throne and seated at the right hand of God's throne, he was given a name and he was given a title above every other name that I believe even in heaven we will probably take some time to really understand what it means. I wanted to contrast his behaviour, the suffering servant's behaviour, with another person that we've already studied about in our earlier study. Len, could you share with us Isaiah 14, 12 to 14? There is a complete contrast between these two people that it's referring to here. Well, I know your wife's been having some problem with her eyes and this <laughs> person that is referred to in Isaiah 14, chapter 14, verses 12 through to 14. He had eye trouble, didn't he? He had serious eye trouble. I'll read it. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. 
I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend to the, above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Now we know that this actually refers to Satan. Well, Lucifer, who was renamed Satan. We have a complete contrast. Jesus acted in a selfless, loving manner. Satan acted in a selfish, unloving manner. And so we can see why God calls Jesus his servant. Although he was God in himself, he set aside his glory and came down here to serve people who'd only done wrong. And so we have much to be grateful for through that. We do indeed. So if we're looking at an example or we're looking at something to model, isn't it sad that our society as a whole models what's found in Isaiah 14, verse 12 to 14, whereas those of us who choose to follow Jesus, what should we be modelling? Helen. Yeah, Brenton, number one, let's make it clear that Lalene hasn't got that problem with her eyes like he had. And <laughs> no, no. number two... She would, be, when, she would be the last person to have that type of problem. I know. When, when you contrast the pride of Satan with the humility of Christ, there is such a huge, huge gap. You know, and you're right in saying, you know, we've got a, a me generation. You know, what about me? Everybody is looking inward selfishly. That was Satan. But Christ, he just, I, can, I don't have the words, but, I mean, if you compare them, they are just poles apart. Amen. True. Lynn? Of course, there is that tendency to idolise certain people. Yes. People also, I suppose, in a way, idolise themselves. But, you know, it's very interesting to consider who the world's best-loved people are. They're not the, the, the film stars. They're not the beaks of society. They are people who lower themselves to serve others. Uh, probably the most classic case I can think of in recent times is Mother Teresa. Yes. Put aside her own self to serve others. So... Although there is a tendency these days to idolise others and self, there is also an appreciation for those who, who work for the good of other people, who model their lives after what Jesus did for us. Yeah, when you read this section that we're studying today, though, Len and panel, I think we would all agree, we don't even come close to what no. Christ did for us here. All right. Okay, uh, thank you for your comments, panel, in regard to that, because I think we can see clearly the contrast between the suffering servant described in Isaiah 52 and verse 53 and the being described in Isaiah 14, who was only interested in one person, himself. He ascribed all the honour and praise that he received in heaven to himself rather than to the one who created him, which was God. But, Helen, in Isaiah 53, verse 1, I'd like you to read that verse for us because it talks about a report. And I wonder uh, what report it's referring to. And if it is, in fact, referring, Helen, to the gospel, this is really quite humiliating to our modern society to have to deal with a suffering servant um, rather than somebody who's rich, 
famous, good-looking, and exhibits all the characteristics that modern people look up to. I wondered if you'd just share that verse with us and comment on it. Thank you. Happy to do that, Brenton. It says here in 53 verse 1, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? We've got to remember that when these words were written, there wasn't that paragraph breaking in the middle. This this actually started at at verse 13, this suffering servant and his glory. And he just finished saying, you know, many were astonished at thee. His visage was so marred more than any man and what have you. So for me, they've given the message and they're virtually saying, who has believed our message and the power of the Lord that's been revealed? You know, this chapter continues to speak of the Messiah And he would suffer for the sins of all the people. And that prophecy alone was astounding. And, you know, who would actually believe that God chose to save the world through a humble, suffering servant rather than a glorious king? The idea is contrary to human pride and worldly thinking. But God often works in ways that we don't expect. And the Messiah's strength is shown by his humility, his suffering and his mercy. And I'd like to share a comment that I read from Matthew Henry's concise um, commentary. He was saying the authentic and most important report of salvation for sinners. This is what it was. He said through the son of God is disregarded. The low condition he submitted to and his appearance in the world were not agreeable to the ideas that the Jews had formed of the Messiah. It was expected that he should come in pomp instead of that. He grew up as a plant, silently, insensibly. He had nothing of the glory which one might have thought to meet with him. His whole life was not only humble as to outward condition, but it was also sorrowful. And he was made sin for us. He underwent that sentence of sin to uh, had exposed us to. And carnal hearts, or, you know, worldly hearts, see nothing of the Lord Jesus to desire an interest in him. But... By how many is he still despised in his people and rejected as to his doctrine and authority today? It's the same. They expected, a, you know, here, here he was saying, who's believed it? Who would believe our message? I mean, yes. it seems so far-fetched. Yes, it is. Now, how many people watched The Passion by Mel Gibson? Yes. And they came out and said, oh, you know, he just he just went overboard with how, you know, Christ looked on the cross. And yet scripture tells us that his face was so disfigured he seemed hardly human. Yes. You know? And so, you know, here comes the statement, Who who's believing this? And to whom has the Lord revealed this to? Yeah. yeah. Doesn't Paul reflect on this, Helen and panel, as um, I think he says in 1 Corinthians, um, when he talks about the cross of Christ, he says it's a stumbling block to Jews and yeah. foolishness to the Greeks. And I think the same principle applies today. This principle of a suffering servant who suffered for us is not agreeable to our modern way of thinking. It's not uh, something that our our modern society would say, yes, I must run to a suffering saviour for salvation. Our natural hearts are not preconditioned or conditioned towards this type of thinking. Nick, you had a thought for us. Yeah, I was just going to say that um, as we are going to see a little bit more in Isaiah 53, Isaiah is going very directly, quickly from one scene to the other and uh, describing, you know, uh, Jesus' uh, suffering. And as Helen was pointing out, particularly in relation to that movie, The Passion of Christ, of course, the graphics of uh, that movie was very hard to watch, to be honest. Uh, I was not able to watch. 
And what I was going to say that in the Bible, as Apostle Paul, you mentioned um, Brenton and others, they're mentioning about the suffering of Jesus, the cross, but they are not going to that extent to talk about that. They are talking about the good news. What was the purpose of that? And and to come to realization that we are in a better position because what Jesus did for us. And I'm amazed by the fact that sometimes people, even in the churches today, they can describe that one and just appeal to the feelings of people to be impressed of something like that, just to, you know, for, for, with graphics and all other things, rather than to, to bring them to the realization of what Jesus really did for us. And of course, nobody suffered. Yes. Like Jesus, and nobody will suffer on this earth what Jesus suffered. Nobody will. He did that for us that we may understand and really live a different life. Yeah. I've put right at the end of the, these comments, how can uplifting a suffering, humiliated individual, in brackets, Jesus Christ, help me with my problems today? I think some of us on the panel have already touched on this just briefly. If Christ was a mere man and simply suffered the death that a, a common criminal suffered and, and went to his grave, we would dismiss him as no more worthy of notice than anybody else who'd been crucified. But because he rose from the dead and because he has ascended to the right hand of God, we have a person who has been through experiences that we can relate to, and he says, I've been through all of this. I've been through these experiences. I can relate to how you feel. Not only can I relate to how you feel, I can give you power to come through this. I can give you power to live triumphantly and victoriously in a world where shame and guilt and all the rest of it is, is just so evident. Thank you for your comments there. Lydia, we're moving on to verse 2 of the same chapter. I wondered if you could read... Today we are fixated in our society with physical appearance. Um, it doesn't matter what, whether they're selling cars, whether they're selling washing machines, whether they're selling clothes or whatever they're selling, nearly always you've got a, a picture of an attractive young lady or a young person draped all over it, uh, somewhere or another, and our society is fixated with appearance. But in verse 2 that you're about to read to us, um, we get a slightly different picture. Thanks, Lydia. Yes. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. First of all, it says here that Jesus grew up before him, before the Father, yes. like a tender shoot. So what it means, a tender shoot? So it's a fragile, it's innocent. That's a good thought, Lydia. Yeah, and yes. it, it says, it, and like a root out of dry ground. So when a root grows out of a dry ground, so it means it's growing in harsh condition of existence. Doesn't have the necessary uh, condition to grow. So he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. So he... Probably physically, he didn't have any attraction to people because people are always looking for the first point of 
um, that hits their eyes, the attractiveness, uh, physical attra- attractiveness. But Jesus didn't have that. Instead of that, he ca- he had the um, the attractiveness, uh, in interior attractiveness, who which was care for people, uh, pity, uh, genuine compassion for them, and these were uh, the genuine attractiveness that attracted people to him. Yes, yes, that's a good thought. Lynn, you had a thought for us. Well, it's very interesting, firstly, that the Jews of Jesus' day actually missed this point. Yes. But the other thing is Jesus didn't come with any advantages like good looks or huge stature or as an angel of light or something like that. He came as just as an ordinary, humble human being because his mission wasn't to draw attention to himself. He came to save lost sinners. Yes, that's a good point. Helen, before I come to you, just a comment, Len, on what you said. If Christ had come in the way they were expecting, they would have accepted him, but they would have accepted him for the wrong reasons. Mm. I've often wondered if Christ had appeared wearing royal clothes, riding in a chariot, headed for Jerusalem with his 12 disciples around him. I wonder, uh, we are told that um, the, and if he had extolled the priests and the rulers and said, look, these are the guys that are doing what needs to be done, I think they all would have accepted him. But the kingdom he came to bring was not an outward kingdom, it was an inward kingdom. The only way you were going to have this inward kingdom is by not focusing on the outward You have to focus on the inward. Just like a text that we all know in Scripture, I think, uh, when it was talking about David being appointed as the next king, uh, the first son of uh, Jesse, who was Eliab, came along and uh, Samuel said to himself, this guy here is definitely the guy. And God said, not him. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And I think, in a sense, this is what we're talking about here. We're talking about a plain ordinary person who does not attract people to himself because of his looks, because of his dress or because of his manner. But his life and his spotless purity was what attracted people. And that was the kingdom of heaven that uh, we talk about in the scripture. Helen, you had a thought for us as well. Yes, I'd uh, just like to affirm what Lydia was saying. He was like a tender shoot. You know, he was fragile and like a root in a dry ground, it was a hostile environment that he came from. Just stop for a moment and think about that. Jesus came from heaven, from paradise, from perfection, and he came to this world, this dark world, this hostile world, and, you know, and here we're describing it here. I I comment too on what you just said, um, Brenton, when you said that, you know, he could have come as a king. How would we have related us common people to Jesus as the king? We will relate to him when he comes in the clouds because of what he's done. But if if we were with those Israelites back then, we would, of course, look at him like an ordinary person. But I look back now and I say, if Christ came as an ordinary person, he fulfilled literally a prophecy of how he was going to come. Yes. And then we're told in uh, in uh, Hebrews that he humbled himself. But the whole point is he brought healing and salvation for us. 
Yes. He related to us. Even, you know, he came as a baby. Yes. And all the children related to him. Why? Mm. Because he understood them. If he come as a king, you know, yes. how many kings, and, and no offence to any kings that have ever been or will be, mm. how many people relate to that life of a king? Well, most oh, people boy, We relate most to the life of Christ. Yeah. yeah. True. Nick, you had a thought for us. Yeah. Just before I'm going to read the passage from uh, uh, Second Corinthians chapter 3 and yes. verse 18, I want to just make a comment here. Sure. As Lydia was uh, reading from Isaiah 53 verse 2, and we commented about uh, the look of Jesus, the attraction, what uh, can attract uh, um, you know, our eyes, I'd like to make a point here that too often, unfortunately, even today, we are drawing a picture of Jesus or understanding Jesus as is portrayed in churches, movies, um, all other things, you know, and we forgot one most important thing, to go into the Bible and read the Bible, how the Bible is portraying Jesus, because that's what these people missed out also, Israel in Jesus' time, because that was prophesied. Yes, about that, Jesus. Yeah. That was all written about Jesus. And Jesus, even after, later on, he tried to remind them again, haven't you yes. read or known from the prophets, from the Bible? I think the big danger for us is to just open our ears to all sorts of things which people are saying, rather than to go to the Word of God and understand. And it's interesting in this passage, which I refer to in Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says this. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. What a wonderful verse, Nick. And and what's that image? That's very important. Who's portraying that image to us? What sort of image do we reflect? Do we know Jesus from the real source? Or do we know Jesus from anything else? That's a very good thought, Nick. Uh, Helen, you had a thought for us. Yes, I was thinking about this veil and rather than going back into the Old Testament again about Moses coming down the mountain, he had a veil. Yeah, it's got sensory connotations. Yes, yes, yes. I believe that when anyone becomes a Christian, that veil is actually taken away. And what it really, I, I feel it, it's referring to, it's the old system. Our old life is gone. It's a new system. And it gives eternal life and freedom from bondage, and that person can then be like a mirror reflecting God's glory. And by gazing at the nature of God with unveiled minds, we can become more like him, you know, and and that's good news for us. It transforms us morally as we understand and apply it, and through learning about Christ's life, we can understand how wonderful God is and what he's really like. And as our knowledge deepens, the Holy Spirit helps us to change. So the veil is taken away. Becoming Christ-like is a progressive experience, but the more closely that we follow Christ, the more we will be like him, and then we will be a mirror, a reflection. Before I go on, um, Nick, did you have a further comment? I just want to um, <coughs> to say that uh, 
as Helen was pointing out, that should be the ideal um, outcome of every person who gives their life to Jesus and they become a Christian, you know, a, a follower of Jesus. Yes. Unfortunately, Jesus himself will say, depart from me, I never knew you, to, to many of those Christians. Why? Because, again, we probably rushing too much into just making disciples or, um, how to say, baptizing people and not revealing or, or helping people to really understand Mm. Uh, God and to understand Jesus and many of uh, Christians unfortunately um, will still carry that veil that's that's true Nick Um, Okay. before we do move on I just wanted to comment Helen on what you said about um, being changed uh, as we see him and we want to be more like him We 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 are not changed by reading about him and then applying it we are changed by looking. We are changed by looking at what he is and then comparing it with what we are. When we look at what Christ is and what we are, we see such a huge contrast between his sinlessness and our sinfulness that by beholding, we do become changed. I know it's an often used uh, word, by beholding, we become changed. We have to understand what beholding we become changed means. It means the more time you spend in beholding Jesus, what he did, what he said, and particularly what we're studying today, you are changed. You can't help but be changed. When you see the difference between him and yourself, you cry out and say, Lord, change me. Yes, did you have a comment? I'd just like to, yeah, I'd just like to add to that. The change was remarkable when Moses came down that mountain. Yes, he had been with God and the change, you know, he had to veil his face because of the, the glory which was shining through. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it just be great if people could see that change in us? Yes. Not because of us, but because they would know we have spent and been time with Jesus and look to him. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Len, in verse uh, 3, apparently there's some interesting stuff too, and you're going to share that with us and also compare it with the text in Mark. So I wondered if you could read those two verses for us, Isaiah 53, verse 3, and also compare that with Mark 6, verse 2 and 3, and comment on it. Thank you. All right. Well, among the 350 prophecies in the Old Testament, about Jesus is this one in Isaiah 53, verse 3. It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Now, there's a difference between being despised and being humiliated. Being despised means people just hate the sight of him. And, you know, I see this carried out in modern times where people hate anything to do with Christianity. Yes. And I often wonder why, because what's wrong with Christianity? In fact, it's everything is right with Christianity. I know there's some aberrations in belief. However, Jesus was despised. I want to read another verse from Mark chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, uh, it says about Jesus uh, teaching in the synagogue, and they said, where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that's been given to him, and even he does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? 
isn't this Mary, son and the brother of James, Joseph and Judas and Simon? In other words, his background is a peasant background. How come this guy is challenging us, the elite of society? And then I want to share with you from the Gospel of John, chapter 12 and verse 32, where Jesus himself said, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of the world will be driven out. But when I'm lifted up from the earth, will I draw all men to myself? Or it says in some versions, I will draw all men to myself. Now, interesting, hundreds of years before Jesus ever appeared on the face of earth, this prophecy was given that he would be despised, and yet he came for a selfless, redeeming mission. They spat on him. Yes. They slapped and punched him. He was denied his rights. If people had some human rights back there, eventually he was killed. Didn't deserve to be killed. When he was hung on the cross, he was stripped, stripped naked. Yes. He was treated like an animal. And you can see how this prophecy that Isaiah was given about the Saviour is so right. Yet he went through all this, not for himself, but for you and for me. Yeah, what more need be said, Glenn, other than thank you for doing that? Yes. Helen, in verse 4, talks about bearing our griefs and carrying our sorrows. I wonder if you'd read that one also by way of comparison uh, read Matthew 27, verse 41 to 43. And let's get a, a total picture of exactly what Christ is doing, remember, vicariously and uh, self-denyingly for us. Isaiah 53, verse 4 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Let me read that again. Yes. In Helen's version, it says, Surely he has borne Helen's griefs and carried Helen's sorrows, yet I did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. I, I, This whole chapter 53, you put your name in there, it really brings it alive. But let me just wow. also, if I may, read it from the New Living Translation. It says, Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his sins. And I will compare it with Matthew 27, 41, 43. But I just wanted to share that in the New Living Translation. She brings to me, you know, the sorrows that weighed him down. Weighed him down. I mean, he was so innocent and yeah. yet he had to carry it. Let me have a quick look, if I may, at Matthew 27, 41 to 43. Okay, let me just go on to verse 41 to 43 in the New Living Translation. It says, The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he is the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now, and we will believe in him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. What I find really, really interesting is that if we put ourselves into that sort of a situation, yes, I don't know if you've experienced it, but I let me just bring it down to you know something that I learned years ago. I was up in the islands, and I was accused of something that I did not do, 
And we had a new principal that came in and somebody there who did not like what my husband and I were doing in the mission field, They, this person went and he told lies. Now, it got back to me. My first reaction was, not real Christian, I wanted to go and expose it, you know, human reaction. My next reaction, though, was if I say something, they'll know someone shared it with me and it would have got that other person into trouble. I had to bear that knowing that this person was spreading lies about me and they were not true. And I took it to God and I really weighed that burden weighed down on me, Brenton, because, you know, it was so totally untrue. And then I said, God, you can write it. I need to give it to you because I can't do anything about it. And I prayed for that person. The interesting thing is that you've probably heard the term black sheep of the family. Yes. (laughs) Well, that's exactly how I felt. And it was interesting that eventually um, God won out. Eventually the truth was made known without me saying a word. And i got to tell you, I... It just lifted this whole weight off my shoulders. Christ died on that cross, and he was going to wear the the sins of the whole world. May I also make a comment about that? I, I was thinking to myself, if you are any of you are sick, I can empathize with you, but I cannot feel the pain the way you're feeling it, right? Because it's enough for me to bear any pain that I'm going through. So what if I was to bear the pain that everyone on the panel feels today? I mean, just imagine how weighed down we would feel. Yet exactly. Christ, he bore that pain. He bore our sins. He bore it for the whole human race. Yeah, that's that's true, Helen. Well, that, wow. is, that is true. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine people say that Christ died on the cross? I believe that Christ died of a broken heart. Oh, I totally because agree. Because mm-hmm. he bore the sin of the whole world. He, mm-hmm. he was, in, in effect, made the black sheep of the universe. Yes. Even though he was completely innocent. The interesting thing there is that he can then empathise with all of us. You know, yes. I can now empathise with other people when things are unjustly said to them because of my yes. experience. Yes. And that when I know that Christ understands me and he, he understands the experiences that's a wow moment. That really is a wow moment. It's a changing truth that makes me feel special. It makes me feel so loved. It makes me see, feel so valued that he would take yeah. on all of that yeah. for yeah. me. Just for me. Just yeah. for me. Nick, in verse 8, um, it talks about, and we're still on the same subject, but uh, now it talks about generations and other things. I wondered if you'd read verse 8 for us and compare it with Daniel 9, verse 26, to see how prophetically this um, was fulfilled. Okay, I'm going to read um, Isaiah 53, 8, and Nick is going to read. Thank um, thank you, Lydia. Thanks. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. And in Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, it says, After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing, and a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood, 
and war and its miseries are decreed from the time to the very end. Yeah. Here it's a very, you know, it's a prophetic uh, language also. And uh, just keep in mind, we are talking about from a, a longer period, prophetic period of uh, two, 2,300 uh, days or years, prophetic uh, understanding. Uh, we are talking about here from the 70 weeks, we're talking about the 62 weeks. And it's interesting that the uh, people of God, Israel, they were taken captives in uh, in Babylon. But through his prophet, God foretold them 500, almost 500 years before. Yes, what will did. happen? He did make With precision. And it's interesting that when Jesus came, even though they have all the details in the Bible, nobody recognized him or received him. I mean, when I say nobody, uh, largely, largely, you know, nobody, because there are few yes. people uh, there, uh, which we are not going into this right now, uh, who thought, isn't he the Messiah? But yes. most of the people were expecting something else. My question is, who are you waiting for? Yes. How do you understand what Jesus is doing in your life? And yes. uh, the question I ask, the answers are in the Word of God, in the Bible. If we study the Word of God, we'll come to knowledge and understanding about all these things. And that's what we are doing this program, a Bible study, because we want to encourage every one of us to study the Word of God, not just to hear here and there about uh, Jesus, but to really know Him. And we can know Him, we cannot know Him in any other way, but by studying his word, mm. because that will will bring uh, to our attention his character, his ministry, his plan of salvation, all those things. We need to go to the Bible. We cannot afford just to hear here and there because we can be deceived. Sure. Um, just one further comment on that before we move on quickly, because our time is nearly gone. Cut-off issue is very, very important. Uh, when Christ died on Calvary, he died the death of a criminal. He died as punishment, even though he was innocent. He died for the sins of the world, but he also died the second death, which is what sinners will receive at the end of the thousand-year period. This is vitally important because cut off means more than simply put to death. It means that your whole lineage is obliterated. Christ took upon himself that, that role, and we find it best explained when we think of the text that Christ said. And I haven't got time to read it, so I'll quote it from Matthew twenty-seven forty-six: My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Len, we were talking about this off air, weren't we, earlier on this morning, yeah. of how Christ did not see clearly that he would come through the grave and that he would rise victoriously. He came forth by the power, the divinity that was within himself, but he did not see clearly at that point. He was feeling what sinners will feel before the second death. <laughs> Jesus was not questioning, I don't believe God. He wasn't questioning God. He was quoting the first line of Psalm 22, and it was a deep expression of the anguish that he felt when he took on the sins of the world, which caused him to be separated from his father. And this, I believe, is what Jesus dreaded when he was in the Garden of Eden, and yeah. he asked for the cup to be taken from him. The physical 
agony was horrible. But even worse was that period of spiritual separation yeah. from God. Jesus yeah. suffered that double death so that we would never have to experience eternal separation from God. And when I think of that, I want to start think, singing amazing love. How can it be that Jesus shed his blood for me? I nearly put that in my notes, Helen, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, time is nearly up. I'm going to read a brief statement. Then, Len, I want you to finish on a positive note for us by uh, uh, reading verse 11 of Isaiah 53. The statement is this, His Christ's soul was made an offering for sin. It was necessary for the awful darkness to gather about his soul because of the withdrawal of the Father's love and favour, for he was standing in the sinner's place. When I read that, I thought, yes, and this darkness every sinner must experience. The righteous one must suffer the condemnation and wrath of God, not in vindictiveness, for the heart of the Father yearned with great sorrow when his son, the guiltless, was suffering the penalty of sin. This sundering of the divine powers will never again occur throughout the eternal ages. Now, if all of that is true, and I believe it is, it leads us to verse 11 that Len is going to share with us. Is there a triumphal conclusion to all of this mayhem, all of this guilt, all of this agony, all of this suffering, is there something that we can look to that Christ can look to and say, yes, yes? Thanks, Len. Well, if it wasn't, it would have been a waste of time. But Isaiah 53, verse 11, the first part says, after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Jesus did all he possibly could. There was nothing more that he could have done in order to redeem lost humanity back to God. And having achieved that, he can, well, I'll put modern terminology, he can sit back and say it was all worthwhile. Yeah, but the verse, that's only half the verse. And I want to read the other bit. Thank you. And it says, by his knowledge, or some versions say, by the knowledge of him, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. And I'd love to read on, but Jesus is satisfied that all that he went through, however bad and terrible it was, it was worthwhile. It wasn't in vain, was it? It wasn't. And I'm sitting here looking at your faces and I can say to myself, well, it was worthwhile for you and I'm sure it was worthwhile for many listeners because they've accepted. There's just one little thing I'd like to highlight. Sure. It says, he will bear their iniquities. It's not everybody's. It can be everybody's, but it's not everybody's because most people reject Jesus even now. Yes. Those who accept him, he bears their iniquities. We don't carry them anymore because he's taken them from us. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. With such great love and sacrifice for us, we have peace with God. We have joy in the spirit and we have hope for the future. <laughs> I was going to put what's not to like, but I thought that was um, being a little bit crass. <laughs> so I put what's not to accept today. And my appeal to our listeners today is, guys, when you study Isaiah 53, it would almost be worth studying it on your knees almost be worthwhile reading it on your knees and uh, just saying thank you lord because 
really there's nothing else that need be said. I pray that God will add his blessing to the study of his word today. He was bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes we are healed. What a wonderful saviour we have. And he can be your saviour today. If you're listening to this program and you've never accepted Jesus and you're umming and ahhing over whether you will or not, I pray that today's message may touch your heart to the degree that you say, Lord, I'm willing to surrender everything to you. I want to follow you in everything. I wonder, Lydia, would you like to pray for us in closing? Glorious Father in heaven, thank you so much that you allowed your beloved son, your only beloved son, to come on this earth to die in our place. And uh, he was the Messiah. He was the Lord, a servant, the, the suffering servant, the Messiah, our rescuer, the Redeemer, and the King. Father, thank you so much that Jesus came here on, uh, on, on this darkened world from heaven, from perfection, to bring healing, salvation, rehabilitation, reconciliation of us with you. Father, thank you so much. Help us to look up to your reflection and in turn for us to be able to reflect your glory to others because Jesus was the glory of God, the reflection of the glory of God. And in turn, help us, Father, for us to reflect your glory to others, um, your holy character to be reflected in us to others around us. Father, thank you so much for everything. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Um, Nick, you can... Thank you, panel, for... Um... <laughs> thank you, panel, for uh, all your uh, thoughts and um, studying this important uh, subject and share with, um, with us all. I pray that uh, you'll be blessed and everyone who's listening uh, uh, today will uh, make a decision, as uh, Brent and you just uh, pointed out a bit earlier. We are inviting you to uh, be part of the next Bible study because we are going to talk about uh, waging love. That will be wonderful to learn more about that amazing love which God uh, has for us all. Until then, may God richly bless you and continue to walk in the footsteps of Jesus.